This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit VinZero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Nanochka Tichkoski is the CEO for BVN Architecture Australia with more than 25 years experience leading major architectural projects and developing innovation and research opportunities working with architects, academics and industry partners. Nanochka is leading BVN's contribution to the Atlassian Australian headquarters, a project which is being touted as the world's tallest hybrid timber tower. Nanochka is joining us now to share her passion for the project and essential elements for the built environment of the future. Welcome to the program, Nanochka. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Nanochka, the Atlassian headquarters for Australia is being touted as the world's first from several angles. Can you start by sharing the overall vision for the project? Sure. Well, the overall vision, it's got a couple of threads to it. The first one is to activate Tech Central, which is a new precinct in the city of Sydney that brings together the tech industries. And so Atlassian are a major anchor in that precinct, and this is really their new home. The critical thing about what Atlassian brought to the project, though, obviously, is the brief definition. And in thinking about the ambition of the brief, they were super keen to elevate, you know, where we could go in the built environment. And so the project is going to have 50% less embodied carbon, 100% renewable energy, and it's set to be one of the world's tallest hybrid timbered towers. So when we talk about it being the world's tallest hybrid timber tower, what does that actually mean? Uh, Well, it'll be the first time in the world that we'll be able to construct a building which uses mass timber construction, steel and concrete to hit up to 40 storeys high. So the reason it's hybrid and not a complete timber tower, for example, is that it just doesn't make sense to build timber to that height on its own because uh, of the structural forces that would be required. It would mean that you just use so much timber, it wouldn't actually be sustainable. So what we have is a concrete core, concrete and steel, what we call mega floors, uh, every four floors. And in between that, we build everything else out of mass timber construction. So you almost have a small timber village sitting within these big four-storey structural sections. And then the outside of the building has a steel exoskeleton, which is the way that we free up the internal part of a lot of structure and bring that structure down to ground in a pretty complicated ground condition. So what are some of the technical problems you have to solve as you complete this type of design? The biggest challenge for anything with timber and timber at height is really resolving the fire issues. So obviously you can imagine with a 40-storey building, you've got people at the top of the building, you need to get them down you know, in time. The way that that's been solved in this instance is through those four-storey habitats, we call them. And the habitats are a great mechanism, not only to solve the fire issues, but they also 
help us create the communities within a tall building. So every four floors essentially is a fire compartment and that allows us to contain fire within those four levels and then introduce the timber into that. So then that's where we also have what we call the park spaces and so on. So each of the little habitats is a sort of a a mini ecosystem within the bigger one. So not only do we have the challenges associated with building the world's tallest hybrid timber tower, but we've also got the fact that we're actually building on the edge of Australia's busiest rail corridor, which is Central Station. And this in its own right comes with a lot of complexity trying to deal with that. And then in addition to that, we actually are in a heritage precinct and in actual fact on our site is a a relatively modest heritage building which used to be the inward parcel shed which needs to get dismantled and remade around the new building components. So what is it that allows you to solve these problems as you work through the complexity of the project? Well, I think fundamental to complex projects is actually having the backing of the client group and a very clear sense of where we're going as a project team, which we did establish very early on and was established via Atlassian and then Dexas as the the building owner now. But we've worked as a very large global team. So, and we did that all through, most of the design work was done actually all through COVID. So we were all collaborating online together, a lot of late hours and early mornings. But the most important thing is just having alignment from everyone working to that big common goal, because it does get pretty tricky to solve, you know, a range of issues as they come up. And so what are some of the elements of the design that define nature positive? Well, Nature positive really means that we give more back to the ecology than what we remove. Um, Some of the key things that this building does, the Atlassian Tower does beyond other buildings, some of the big stretch targets was 50% less embodied carbon. So 50% less embodied carbon is a pretty big step up from where we are at the moment in terms of ambition and that means that we're really scrutinising in particular the materiality and the amount of material that we use within the core, the foundations, the structure and the facade system. But the other very special features, I guess, of the building is one, introducing that timber into a high-rise tower and having the tactility and the, the warmth of the timber exposed to the occupants of the building. And at the north end of the building, we have these beautiful four-storey high park spaces, which are fully naturally ventilated. So even on the very upper levels of the buildings, you have access to landscape spaces and natural ventilation. And not all of the building is air conditioned. So there's only part of the building that's fully conditioned. Then we have some of the building that's what we call sort of a mixed mode. So it's partly naturally ventilated and partly conditioned. And then we have the fully naturally ventilated parks, which sit at the base of each of our habitats. And everyone who sits within that habitat has access to that park. So you're really exploiting the climate to bring nature inside in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah, we really are. And we're also at the top of the building, which we call the crown, there's also some quite significant landscapes terraces as well. So the idea being that we move from a regenerated ground plane, which we're also bringing a lot more landscape to, 
threading landscape up through the building through the parks and then you see that kind of reappear outside of the building at the crown of, of the building. So you mentioned there the ground plane. Can we talk a little bit more about what your approach has been to that in terms of bringing nature back in? Yeah, sure. One of the key, I guess, things that we're aspiring to do a lot more of and embed into all of our projects is a approach we call designing with country. And designing with country is really drawing from the Aboriginal and First Nations people's influence on the site and the way they inhabited the site, as well as the natural ecology of the site, and bringing that back into the projects, helping that to inform the new architecture and the new public realm. So we looked really closely around what this site historically was before kind of colonial development and started to understand the layers that had been lost over time. And one of those critical layers obviously was landscape. So part of what our approach has been is to sort of bring back that lost landscape into the precinct. And as I mentioned, not just do it at the ground plane, but also have a a genuinely viable approach to threading that up through the building, which is a really kind of nice model which could be emulated for other projects around Australia as well. And actually, one of the things that's also quite unique about this building, as I was mentioning, with the four-storey habitats and the park space, as you move from that naturally ventilated park space, which is what we call the outdoors, you move into the mid-doors and the mid-doors is really the transition space between the indoors and the outdoors. And the mid-doors is where a lot of the breakout spaces will be for the occupants. There's big sliding doors that go out to the park. That's probably where the kitchen, the lounge and collaboration zones will be. And then from that space, you can move into the fully conditioned part of the building, which is what we call the indoors. So that model is also pretty revolutionary. And that was designed up in collaboration with the engineers and also Transolar, who are a German-based company that helped us with the engineering of that. Certainly sounds like it's going to be a fantastic space. Are there any elements of adaptive reuse or upcycling? The main element of upcycling is really the shed, so the inward parcel shed, and it's some of the lower heritage walls. So in order to achieve what we're trying to do, we've actually got to slightly painstakingly dismantle the timber shed. It all gets inventoried, taken off site, it gets replaned. So a lot of the timber over time just got painted with sort of some nasty treatments and things like that over the years. We're going to strip all that back and bring it back to its more original condition. So that then will get put back within the new context painstakingly piece by piece and as I said back in its original positioning there are areas of that timber structure that can't be reused in its previous location so we're committed to reusing that across the site so whether it might be using the timber for seating elements or feature things putting it up through the building or down on the ground plane in the public realm that'll be some really nice elements of that that will get reused across the precinct We've also got a lot of heritage brick walls and little smaller heritage components around the site. They all get reinstated as well. And we've got a lot of heritage interpretation set within the new architecture. So, for example, underneath the made ground plane is used to be a whole series of what was called jack arches, which were 
kind of quite a, a lovely sort of industrial aesthetic for how that structure worked. And we've actually created a new interpretation of those that form the ceiling of all of that lower ground plane. What elements of the design are supporting energy efficiency and decarbonisation specifically? Well, there are a lot of elements to support it. In fact, the whole design of the building supports that and it is a holistic view that we've taken, not just a sort of a single silver bullet that'll do the job. I mean, fundamentally, we're looking to significantly reduce operational energy as well as work with 100% renewable energy. So the approach to the climatic comfort for the building the outdoors, mid-doors and indoors becomes really important to how we think about reduction of operational energy because our fundamental position is not every aspect of this building needs to be an air-conditioned environment. And even when we do air-condition it or we do condition it, we can do it in a way that reduces the amount of energy we need. So things like temperature bandwidths are extended in the building. We've got fans even in the condition zones to help circulate the air rather than pumping it through. So there's a range of things like that. We've got integrated photovoltaics into the facade system, particularly on some of the aspects of the facade, and that will help generate energy that goes directly to the building. The facade's been designed to have a self-shading element so that we've reduced the heat load on the building. All the plant systems have been designed for energy reduction, thinking about waste and so on. So there's not really any aspect that we haven't scrutinised when it comes to energy. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes, so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward, wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit VinZero.com to find out more. So can we flesh out a little more about how you're achieving the reduction in embodied carbon? Yes, that's a really exciting part of the project. So we're targeting 50% less embodied carbon in the building. And the key areas that we're focusing on for that are the structure, the facade and the all the groundworks. But what we've really looked to do, look across all of the elements of the building. So for example, the concrete that we're using for the concrete core of the concrete floors isn't just standard concrete it's actually a much lower embodied carbon mix a low geopolymer mix and then we've got the mass timber construction which gives us a significant saving in terms of embodied carbon and then even the steel which at the moment in Australia we can't buy green steel it's actually better for embodied carbon ultimately for us to import that steel from Europe and South Korea for the project which is also adds to a significant overall saving in embodied carbon. So that's interesting because it's often a perception that it negates the purpose of using greener alternatives if you're actually importing them. So you're finding that's not the case. No, that's true. It's not. I mean, obviously, if we had the very best materials available to us within Australia, it's still going to be better. But given that we don't have the maturity of the market yet in that regard, it actually does still end up being 
typically better for us to bring them in, transport them in. But again, it depends on a case-by-case basis, and that's assessed in quite a lot of detail. But the same goes with the timber. So at the moment, because of the building design and the structural requirements that we need to meet, there's no glue laminated timber sections which make up the columns and the beams available in Australia that meets the strength grade that we need. So we have to kind of go elsewhere, but even doing so, we're still better off. What's your view on what would make the market be a little more mature in that regard or at what point we're going to see a change there for the Australian landscape? Well, I think it's got to be driven from a number of a number of things. One is, um, I think the one of the positive factors is certainly organisations, companies, and clients are looking for better outcomes, and so that's going to force the industry to continue to advance and make those changes. I think government's starting to back some more serious green initiatives when it comes to the construction industry, but there's definitely more to be done. So a lot of focus has been on energy, not so much focus on materials and processes in association with the construction industry. And then we've also, I think, got the imperative that people are really genuinely starting to understand the impacts on the planet. And and also we've got rising costs and supply chain issues. So all of those things In a way, whilst they're difficult for the industry, the fact that they're all starting to come together and intertwine will hopefully help us accelerate some change in the construction industry and head us out of contributing 40% of all global carbon emissions to the planet. So speaking of some of those targets, we talked a little bit about one of the project targets being 50% less embodied carbon in construction. What are some of the other targets for that particular project? So a reduction in operational energy around 50% and 100% renewable energy. So the building will be fed by 100% renewables. Some of it is generated on site, as I mentioned, with the integrated facade photovoltaics and otherwise it'll be bought renewable energy. How important has technology been in the compilation of this project? Well, the fact that we did the entire design process online almost is pretty important. So I think, no, we've got highly sophisticated building models that we're working with. We have a lot of prefabricated elements in the project, which also helps us reduce waste, particularly on-site waste. So we've got highly coordinated models, digital models that form the basis of the design and then the fabrication process. So technology is very important. In terms of the running of the building and the ongoing operation of the building, it's not its most fundamental component. I think, you know, what we've really sought to do is not rely on technology to get the outcome, but technology continue to augment and improve the outcome as it's occupied and develops. So you touched on an interesting point there when you talked about a lot of the off-site construction that's occurring, and a lot of that is to do with the use of mass timber. So outside of this project, what future do you see for mass timber? Oh, a bright future, absolutely. I mean, as BVM, we've built some of the most substantial timber, mass timber buildings in Australia, and I think it's got you know really great application here, but One of the issues that we struggle with a little bit is just having local suppliers and that the local suppliers have the maturity that 
has been developed elsewhere because they've been doing it for a lot longer. We do have strong ambition and we're actually pretty good at being able to deliver on that once we bring it into market. So where we use timber in projects, what we really need to do going forward is to ensure that the cost planners understand the cost mechanisms that timber sits within and that we don't shy away from the challenges because we've now done enough that we've proven up what's possible and we also have a better process of understanding the tendering process and the pricing process which used to often put a red flag against it before we really got going with it. But in relation to timber, I think what's important, which is why we sort of love what we're doing with Atlassian, is timber's not going to solve all our answers for the construction industry. It's one approach, but we do need to improve our steel, our concrete, think about new biomaterials and other opportunities. And that's sort of, that's really what we've got to keep moving ahead with. So in terms of timber, though, there are a number of benefits of using that around the aesthetics of the design and some other elements, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, timber's got some great attributes that cross over a lot of things. So first of all, you know, it's really biophilic and we know there are health benefits and mental health benefits associated with people, occupants working within timber buildings. And the other thing is that it's incredibly clean when you build with timber. So You can move from, like we did a project at the Australian National University in Canberra where we might have had 60 people doing a typical concrete structure. It ended up being built by 10, 10 people plus three who were on the crane and it was an incredibly clean site. So safety is really good, the cleanliness is really good and the reduction in on-site waste is great as well because we're obviously we've sort of thought through in advance all of the specific elements that we need. And how important is the circular economy to the future for the built environment? Well, the circular economy is absolutely critical, really. When we sort of step back and look at where we are as a construction industry, where, as I mentioned before, we're contributing 40% of all carbon emissions to the planet. And interesting for me is that there's very little venture capital money flowing in that direction. So there's a lot of conversation about energy, as I mentioned, tech, but really it's an area that we need to start to invest more into and actually accelerate the change that needs to happen. So in order to do that, I think there's multiple things that have to happen. One of them is that we've got to rethink the way we design and build that's less time intensive, less resource intensive and less actually less expensive and in doing so we can think about waste just being lost money to the system so if we can keep the waste in the system and move towards a circular approach the planet will be better off but also it should create higher levels of value for the industry as well. So with so much opportunity in the built environment when you think future about all the projects you're working on and all those opportunities what is it that excites you the most? I mean The overarching one that excites me the most is the decarbonisation of the construction industry. But it's not just decarbonising it. I think it's looking at what that radical transformation can look like. And in my mind, we have to think differently about the way we build. We have to 
used advanced technologies like robotics and large-scale 3D printing, and we have to start exploring new materials and move away from sticks and sheets. This is actually like a huge design opportunity as much as it is an opportunity for the planet, but also it's an opportunity for the industry, which is actually struggling in many areas to continue to keep up with the level of productivity they need to also just deal with the rising costs and supply chain issues. So I think it's a radical transformation of the construction industry is what I'm super excited about. And I feel like we can play a part in that. The other thing I am very interested in is the adaptation of existing buildings and Whilst projects like Atlassian are incredibly rewarding, new projects like this only make up about 2% of our cities. It's actually 98% of our cities are buildings that already exist. And if we want to make a difference, we really need to ensure that we continue to adapt and reinvent those existing buildings and bring them back to life. And certainly all our cities are currently struggling with how to fill the gap that's been made by less workers coming into the city. And so adapting existing buildings and rethinking the experiences that we provide within the city to make them more diverse, interesting, cost-effective is absolutely kind of top of mind as well. Well, Nanochka, I certainly think that we're very fortunate to have firms like BVM leading the future of construction and I thank you for participating in our podcast today. Thank you so much, Anthea. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at VinZero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From VinZero Think Future, Thanks for listening.